Bibles and please open them to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel 11, you'll find it on page 282 of of your pew Bibles. And I'm just going to let you know that this is a chapter we're going to take our time in. Uh, This is a story that we are all familiar with, I'm sure. But this is one that we we dare not rush through it. uh, Because this, this is a text that should grip all of us. 2 Samuel chapter 11, page 282 of your pew Bibles. And if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. We want to read the first five verses. We will likely return to these five verses, Lord willing, next week. The writer of 2 Samuel writes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 1. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father asks, as always, you open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears, our hands, and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ. This is your work. Convict us in this time of worship. May I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. You see it I am certain that we have all experienced that sinking feeling we get when someone we admire or holds some sort of authority over us, or at least is influential in our lives, fails morally. They could be a boss or a director. They could be a coach, a political influencer, a celebrity, a public figure, or even a pastor. The heartache of these situations is very real, and there's, there's several reasons why that heartache is very real. And I think one of the reasons is, the, is we realize that the best of men are men at best. And if people that we hold up with high esteem, and rightly so we hold them up in high esteem, can fail so, so, so terribly, then what does that say about me? If these people who, who I, I, I believe are, are an exception to the rule, and if, if they struggle and they fail and they collapse, what hope do I have? If you've been trekking with us in our study of David, starting all the way back in 1 Samuel 16, all the way to this point, it's almost been exclusively good news, right? David is a shepherd boy who gets anointed by the prophet to be the next king. He then uh, sues uh, Saul with, 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 with the music, and then he slays the giant, and he, he marries into the royal family. Sure, he has that period of fleeing, but he, he, still, he still leads, and he learns what leadership is. He learns to lead a, a, a mighty army. He, he learns how to lead politically. And he, he learns international uh, diplomacy and politics. He, he eventually is crowned king. He continues to extend the borders of Israel. And every battle he fights, he wins. Every war he engages with, he finds victory. And it is just one triumph after another. And then all of a sudden, starting right here in chapter 11, it all starts to crumble. 
And here is a person that all of Israel sees as a next Messiah, as the Messiah, as one who will liberate Israel and create this, this, this new Garden of Eden in Jerusalem. And right here we see, again, that the best of men are men at best. Let's start here with the setting in verse 1. You see it there. It was the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago when we, we looked at chapter 10, you may recall that David is engaged in a war with the Ammonites and, to a lesser extent, the Arameans or the Syrians, depending on your translation. But it's the same, same people. And that was introduced. Remember, David was trying to be kind, like he had been to Mephibosheth in chapter 9. He wants to be kind to a, a, foreign, a, a foreign king, and it ends up being war. Right? It, things didn't go as he had planned. And now he's engaged in this battle. And, and you'll notice here that, that it's the spring of the year. And that's the time when you go out to fight. Now, to me, as a 21st century dude, I, that, that's a weird sentence to me, right? It's spring. Time to grab your battle axe and go fight someone, right? It's, it's odd to us, isn't it? Because, frankly, we fight year-round. <laughs> Yeah, uh, not just our military either. Uh, But most battles at this time would engage in war and battle in the spring. And the reason's pretty obvious, right? Everyone is is an agricultural society, and so your 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 soldiers are are farmers, right? And and your economy is dependent on those farmers uh, 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 working the farm and providing for uh, the the entire nation. And so winter made travel very difficult, and uh, battles difficult, and and rainy seasons and harvest season were very important to the economic and personal health of everyone in the nation. So this severely limits the time when people would fight. By the way, this isn't new, uh, uh, or this isn't old. This is, this is really something that still happens today, uh, but even in American history. Uh, if I show you this picture, right, you know what's going on here, right? This is America, right? I mean, you think America, you think this right here. It's not exactly the most accurate thing in the world, but who cares? That's America. You see, you like America, right? It's great. But the story is that this take took place on Christmas in, in, in 1776, and uh, Washington surprised the Brits uh, with an with attack on Christmas. No one fights on Christmas unless you're Washington, right? Right. Because they, they were struggling. You know, the, 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 the little uh, colonies were struggling with the mighty uh, Great Britain. And so a surprise attack was this. And so they crossed the Delaware River. They're all freezing and everything like that. So the same sort of concept. The, the Redcoats assume well, we ain't fighting tonight. Right. It's time to open presents. And then comes Washington, the man. Right. America, right? Same sort of concept there as you get here. Yet what is what, what a lot of people want to point out here in verse 1 is what David chooses not to do. He chooses not to go with his army out to war. In fact, it says David sent Joab and his servants with him. Now, to be clear, David is not committing any sin, and he is not doing anything wrong in staying back. In fact, uh, one of the advantages of us going verse by verse through a book like 2 Samuel is, is that we know that there isn't anything wrong with this. In fact, we saw uh, in, in chapter 10, right? You remember this in the first battle, David didn't go. He, he didn't go with it. Remember, he sent Joab. Joab took care of that, that first battle. 
In fact, later, in, as David ages, he goes to the battle and another giant comes, right? Does the story sound familiar? And he's trying to kill David. The story sound familiar? Happens at the end of David's life as, as well. And, and he's about to be mortally wounded when his men step in, slay the giant. And they say, David, you don't need to be coming out to battle with us anymore. It wasn't unusual for, for David to do this. And we understand this today, right? That, that in, in times of national crisis, there, there are some people in leadership, you don't need handling the day-to-day stuff. For example, on 9-11, the mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, you remember what he did? He walked out of his office. He started helping people uh, escape the rubble, escape the attacks. You remember that? You remember someone had to pull the mayor aside and says, Mayor, we appreciate you wanting to help uh, fellow New Yorkans. You're the mayor. We need you to make decisions. We need you to get on the phone with the president. We need you to get on the phone with the governor. We need to get you to do these sort of things, right? So, so it's not wrong if a mayor or president or someone isn't right there in the midst of the, of, of the thick of things. And so it's not wrong that David is doing this. Now, to be clear, David at times did join the army. In fact, in chapter 10 in another battle, David was right there leading his army. So in one chapter, the previous chapter, David is absent and David is present. Now, why he's present in one, not the other, I, I don't know. It's just, just what, what the text says. So he is not doing anything wrong here in sending Joab, who has proven he can defeat the Ammonites, proven he can lead his army. So he's a proven general. And so he decides, for whatever reason, to stay behind. And I can imagine a king can stay just as busy when the army is gone as to when uh, peacetime, when everyone is in the palace. I can imagine a king can keep himself pretty busy. Regardless, Joab goes into battle where the Ammonites are once again ravished, or your translation may say destroyed, and that leads to the besieging of Rabah, which I believe we'll get to in chapter 12 if we ever get there. So that's, that's the setting. Let's look quickly at the sin. I say quickly, that's a lie. We're not going to look at it quickly. The sin. Notice how it begins there, verse 2, it happens. Right, if you've even read enough books... You know, this story is about to take a turn for the worse, right? You've got victory, 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 and then it happens. The rain starts to fall outside, right? The, the, the lights start to flicker and they start to go out. The music starts to turn to a somber tone, right? This, this is the key. The, the story is about to take a real turn for the worse. In fact, this phrase, it happened in the Hebrew, is used throughout the, the, the Old Testament. But, but at some points, it signifies something bad's about to happen. In fact, there's a similar story to this. It's in Genesis 38, uh, where you see it there. It happened at that time. Judah, Judah turned aside. This is where Judah, uh, just, just to clean up, we got kids here, commits adultery. It's, it's, it's a terrible story, and he is the ancestor of Jesus, right? It is not a good story at all. But it's, it, it, there's some parallels with what David does here uh, as well. And it starts the same way. Uh, this, this is a movie with foreboding clouds, right? The rain is, is coming. And notice that, that, that it happened one late afternoon when he arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. What we have here is David surrendering to temptation to ruin his marriage, to ruin his life, to ruin his home, and to ruin the nation. What I want to talk in the time that remains, and we'll finish this, Lord willing, next week, is there is a pattern as it relates to temptation that is very clear here that I think we need to take our time to walk through it. Because in my experience of ministry, this is the issue we wish we were better armed for. 
What is the pattern of how we often surrender to temptation? Let's start here with opportunity. Opportunity, again, that David is there alone. The army is gone. He, he, he raises up from his afternoon nap, and there he sees Bathsheba in the distance. Now, we've made it clear. David is not in the wrong for staying behind in Jerusalem, but it did provide for him ample opportunity to sin. For each of us, I, I suspect there are moments and opportunities situations and people, relationships and whatnot, that for us may be particularly tempting. Maybe it's being alone in your own home. Maybe it's a business trip with that certain coworker. Maybe it's some, having someone's cell phone on, on your own. Maybe it's certain times of the year, anniversary or a holiday. Maybe it's a certain place, a, a bar, a hotel, a, a car, a back room, whatever it is. There, there are certain opportunities that we maybe have, certain places, certain people, certain relationships that to us uh, are unique opportunities for us to give in. Again, maybe it's locations, maybe it's people, whatever it is. What David has here is he is staying behind, and by staying behind, he opens the door of temptation, a door he was too weak to avoid. We often do the same. Chances are here, right now, this morning, there is a situation that haunts you. There are constant temptations when you walk by or when you're given that opportunity or when you drive through, whatever it might be. You think, if I stop here, if I have this conversation, if I answer that phone call, that will lead me down a very dangerous path. I've seen it before, and I'm afraid it will happen again. David's not doing anything wrong. And maybe your opportunity, it's not anything wrong. It's just a conversation. It's just a career opportunity. It's just a relationship. It's just this or that. And that alone isn't wrong. But given your weaknesses, it can become something far worse than what it looks on the surface. We'll have more to say next week about David's weaknesses, but we know that specific areas of weaknesses for each of us, yet for some of us, for some reason, dare I say all of us, for some reason, we refuse to throw away the key to that door. It's as if we want in our back pocket just to know if we wanted to. If we just wanted to. Why do we do that? The second way that temptation creeps in and we surrender, uh, the way I often see this is isolation. Notice here, it happened late one afternoon. David arose from his couch, was walking on the roof of the king's house. He saw from the roof, roof a woman bathing, and she was beautiful. Can, can you tell me who's missing in this story? It's not the army. They're busy. It makes sense. They're going out to war. That's what armies do. Who's missing? He rises from the couch. Who should be laying on the couch with him? A wife. And he has multiple options, may I remind you, right? Here he is all alone. In fact, we should talk about one of those wives. Remember what happened several chapters back and David is dancing his ephod and, and he's got a parade and his approval ratings are through the roof, right? You remember that story? And then he comes home. And there she is, McCall, his wife, at the front door, arms crossed, 
toe tapping, so you've embarrassed me for the last time. You remember what David did? Remember what he did? Is, is the narrative says they never had children. And the question is, did they not have children out of judgment from God? That's not the language of the text. Or was it in, in, in them separated from each other? And I think it's the latter. David says, this isn't worth the fight anymore. Because some of us, we respond to, 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 to our brokenness by, by outwardly showing it. We scream, we, throw the, 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 we slam the door, we shout, we do all that. Some of us, we internalize our brokenness, right? We surrender. We walk away. We give up. We refuse to fight. And maybe David here. So what you have is McCall and David sleeping on other ends of the palace, don't want to even want to look at each other. No wonder then he's alone and no wonder in his loneliness he is vulnerable. And when you are vulnerable and in isolation, you can start telling yourself those lies. Well, no one will know. It's no one's business. She won't tell anyone. I'm entitled to this. No big deal. I can go to church afterwards, it'll be okay. There's no mention of his wife. No mention of his administration. And his failure to reconcile with his wife stimulates loneliness. It's amazing how loneliness and isolation and how isolated the wealthiest and the most powerful among us can be, isn't it? Maybe the number of friends, how good your photos on Instagram are filtered might be, or the amount of influence you have, they are not cures for loneliness. Isolation makes accountability very difficult and surrender to temptation very easy. And so by isolating himself, David is in a vulnerable opportunity by which he is alone, and he, is, he will easily give in to this temptation. Would he have fallen for this if his aides were here? Would he have fallen for this if he had reconciled with his wife? Would he have fallen for this if he had people who, who he was accountable to? Would you have fallen for this? The third pattern I see here is Curiosity. Accidentally seeing a woman bathing when you're way up here and they're down there on the roof, that should be the end of the story, right? His response should be a red face of embarrassment where he walks away and he moves on, right? That should be the end of it. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe he was unaware that she was there. I don't know. But he could have easily have removed himself from the situation. But what does he do? He lets his curiosity to get to the best of him. Now, notice there, he saw she was beautiful. He saw she was beautiful. And notice there, David sent. He inquired about the woman. You see the curiosity? He's, he's dipping that toe into the, in, in, into the water. He just, I, just, I just want a little taste. I just want a little try. I just want a little bit there. It's the curiosity that gets him. And, and curiosity is often fed on these lies. It's just coffee. It's harmless fun. It'll be our little secret. It's just one night. No one needs to know. We're just friends. It's just one drink. 
It's just one little lie. What's the worst that can happen? And by the way, it is, it is that same pattern that, that of curiosity and lies that Eve fell for, right? You remember in Genesis 3 when the serpent said, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like him. Oh, that's interesting. You, you say that. That's it, it, interesting. You know, it looks like perfectly normal fruits. What's a little bite between us girls? What's a bite between you and I, honey? It's the curiosity. Notice here, David, he, he is curious, right? He, he sends messengers and he, he takes her and, she, and, and, and he, he lays with her. But notice the, the question, yes, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? Who is this person? I'd like to know more about her. I might follow her on Instagram. I may see what she's posting on Facebook. Maybe she'll add me as a friend. Oh, I know. What sort of video is she posting on the Tic Tac? Whatever it's called these days, right? She, 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 she just, I just want to see. I just want to know. It's just harmless. That's all it is. Just, just a little bit of curiosity. And for far too many of us here, it is that lie. It is that little bit of dabbling that gets us over the hill. What's the worst that can happen? I can get away with this. I've done worse and survived. Notice that word inquired. It's an interesting word in the Hebrew. It's not a very common word, at least in 2 Samuel or 1 Samuel. But can I tell you the last time it was used? It was last used in 1 Samuel chapter 28. It is the story of when Saul inquires of the witch. It's interesting, isn't it? And in fact, when I first saw that, I had to pause here for a minute because I felt really convicted here. The word inquired is used by two kings, two men regarding a woman. And in both instances, the women are being used as a means for their end. For Saul, the witch is an end, as a means to end a victory over David. I need to talk to Samuel. I need to know how to defeat my enemy. I need you to do this for me. Otherwise, I would have had you killed because of what you do. But I need you, so I'll let you live. David is using Bathsheba as a means to the end of momentary pleasure, as the ends of a fix for crippling loneliness, for a fix of whatever brokenness he may have. I need you to fix this. And once this is fixed, whether temporary or permanently, I no longer need you. You'll notice here she gets pregnant. And what does he do to her? He sends her back home. You see what sin does. It is a lie that we, we dip our toe in to believe that I can have sin and unity, sin and love, sin and graciousness, sin and mercy. It doesn't work that way. With sin comes division. With sin comes anger. With sin comes destruction. He ruins countless people's lives here. Sin, left unchecked, will divide and destroy. It turns our neighbors into tools for our desires. It never heals, it never reconciles. Have you noticed the more godless we become, the more people we harm, the more people we use, the more people we push away, the more people we victimize. This is the way that sin takes us. At no point does David consider her dignity, the sanctity of her marriage, or the responsibility of his office. He just sees and then he takes. It's interesting, isn't it? We're given her name, Bathsheba. We're given her father, Eliam. We're given her husband, 
a Hittite by the name of Uriah. They're victims too, aren't they? It's like the narrator wants you to see when David takes this dive, it's a story not just between him and Bathsheba, but it's going to affect a lot of people around them. For a few minutes of pleasure, for a few minutes of escape, it's going to ruin a lot of lives. And David could not care less. I love how Alistair Begg describes this. He says, when lust gets you, conscience goes. See, what started with a dip of a toe in the water has turned into a tsunami of brokenness. And we do the same thing today. For some, curiosity is a Google search. For some, curiosity is a phone call. For some, curiosity is a stalking on social media. For some, curiosity is a knocking on the door, downloading an app, and creating an anonymous username. I'm just taking a look. I just want to see how everyone else lives. I just want to see if I can get away with it. I just want to see where, where, where there's holes in the system, right? I just, I just want to try. Before long, curiosity surrenders to temptation, and temptation is sin. You may recall in summer of 2014, there was a leak of a website. I don't want to give the website, uh, but it was a, an adult dating site, and I want to emphasize the adult part. It was for the purpose of adultery and other uh, bad relationships. Okay. And there was a leak, and every username was released. Among those was a minister that I, I had read some of his books. He's not a Baptist. Uh, I'd read some of his books. I'd listened to some of his sermons. Someone that I had sort of followed their, their ministry and whatnot. And to read his confession really gripped me. In fact, I'll read some of it here. It says, in August 2014, in a moment of weakness, pain, and from an unhealthy curiosity. There it is right there, isn't it? I visited this website. My goal was not to gather research for critical commentary, but to fan the flames of my imagination. All he wanted to do was to scroll and to wonder in fantasy, what if? What if? And it destroyed him. Well, we could, if time allowed, talk about what to do when we are tempted. And these shouldn't be new. We need to submit to the Lord. We need to flee from temptation like Joseph with Potiphar's wife. We need to grow in the gospel. And we need to surrender to Christ who, is, who suffered when he was tempted yet overcame it. And so, so can we. But, but I, I tell you what, what really stuck out to me was the song that we, we just sang. The second song we sang. One of those verses, every time we sing it, I, just, I, I get excited and convicted all at the same time. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your body, your buried body began to breathe. And out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me. Look, the good news of the gospel is not you're going to be perfect. 
If you come today, you'll never have another problem. That's not the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel, there is one who has carried these burdens and temptations and sins and shame and guilt for you. Right now, past, present, and future, if you would but surrender and run to him, he has carried your burdens. He has carried your sin. And he begs of us, come, come and lay them at the cross and I will carry them for you. And that is, that is the hope we have here because chances are you are in this text because I know I am. There are those opportunities. There are those moments of isolation and the dip of curiosity. But that is not where the story needs to end. And that is not where this story will end. Only because the grave has no claim on me. It doesn't need to have one on you either. Let's go to Lord in prayer as we come to repentance.